If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 126 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but the Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on January 30th, 2022. Well, guys, first off, I want to start off the show by first thanking each and every one of you so, so much for all the amazing support I received after last week's returning Yapping Yankees episode. Many of you know that last week was the first episode I dove back in here with Yapping Yankees for the first time in over a month since I was sick with COVID, and then we lost my grandmother, and I explained everything that was going on on last week's returning episode, and the support and love that I received on top of all the support and love I already received during my month hiatus after last week's episode was... There are no words. You guys are just downright incredible. I don't know what else to say at this point. So I thank you all so, 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 so much for all of your undying love and support to me. I mean, you guys, you're the best there is. You're the best there is. I really, really do mean that. But otherwise, I really do hate to start the show off itself with this mood that I'm about to have, just about to be negative and all, but I I seriously just, I can't help it. I'm looking out the window right now, and here in New York today, along with some of the surrounding states here on the East Coast, we got a ton of snow from Friday into yesterday. I don't know how many of you know that who don't live in the area or around New York, but we got a ton of snow from Friday into yesterday. So I'm looking out the window right now at nothing but snow, which many of you know makes me completely mental. (laughs) So I've got this. We've got the quote-unquote negotiations, and we got more insight this past week as to just how far apart the two sides still were as of Tuesday, and there haven't even been any more reported meetings since then. Then, you got the sham, that's the Hall of Fame, and the voting results this past week for who will be voted in this year. A lot of issues with that amongst the baseball community, including myself. And, yeah, not done yet. (laughs) And there's something else that I want to briefly discuss that's been wrongly ongoing for decades that I wanted to bring some attention to later on. So yeah, it's going to be a bit of a loaded intro again this week, because I want to unpack a bit of all these important things in the baseball world, and then I promise, I promise, afterwards in the social media segment, we're going to do some Yankee talk. I promise. (laughs) So let's not waste any more time, and let's just run through this crap that I think it's safe to say all of us dread even thinking about, let alone talking about, between these negotiations and the Hall of Fame talks. But you kind of have to, regardless of the team you root for or talk about, because these things affect pretty much everybody in the baseball world. So anyway, the owners and players did finally take it upon themselves to meet for two consecutive days, Monday and Tuesday this past week, which could be seen as progress. You remember from last week's episode that we already knew about Monday's meeting, but they only announced right after Monday's meeting that they were also planning on meeting the next day on Tuesday. So at least that pacing improved over the first month and a half of no meetings at all, and then a week and a half separating the first two meetings. (laughs) So that's why that was seen at least a little bit as progress, because at least it improved pacing between meetings somewhat, having two meetings in two days. But despite them meeting twice this past week, and not once since then at this point, the two sides are still beyond far apart, namely on the issues of arbitration time for young players, which is one of the key issues we've spoken about on this show plenty of times through the last almost three years, and how the players are pushing for less years before a player can make some good money, as opposed to the current setup of having to play a full six seasons before they can make the big money and the big contracts, which is a lot, six years is a lot. 
There's been some dialogue about minor leaguers and their reported abysmal living conditions over the last few years. That's been a hot topic for some people. There was discussion about parameters for a pre-arbitration bonus pool for the top 30 young players in the war stat. And I have to say that that's a pretty odd stat to base that money off of given how many other solid stats there are to judge performance outside of just war. But anyway, just to drive the point home even more than I already have of how far apart these two sides are on issues like these, the Players Association was seeking $105 million total for this bonus pool. And the owners, you want to know how much they offered? $10 million. <laughs> Almost $100 million apart from what the Players Association is looking for. <sighs> so that's the deal with the bonus pool that I mentioned before. <laughs> What's being offered by both sides. And the league minimum for these young players, too, when it comes to what the league minimum would be when they're waiting to make big money in those six years of service time, the PA wanted the league minimum to be raised to $775,000. The league offered $615,000. Over $150,000 apart there as well. <laughs> And then the league just ended up withdrawing the arbitration structure offer altogether. <laughs> that's just great. And I laugh because, I mean, that's the only thing you could do with certain things, guys. I mean, what else can you do at some point with certain things other than just wind up in an institution somewhere? <laughs> you just gotta laugh. I mean, that's really it. But yeah, as you can hear on certain key issues and others even beyond these, I mean, the two sides are just... It doesn't even sound like there's a compromise attempting to be reached here. I mean, they're negotiating in such good faith. <laughs> Please know I'm being sarcastic about that. And, like I said, that's not even mentioning some of the other issues that are still there as well, and I'm sure those will rear their ugly heads in no time as well. <laughs> so that's how things ended on Tuesday, with, again, just want to remind everybody, the month of February, just a week away at the time, of course, now just two days away. Just terrific, right? I mean, you love to hear it. <sighs> and then, to make things even better for the sport, as if it needed things to be even better, Tuesday night, the Hall of Fame voting results came out, with discussion as hot as ever, with guys like Bonds and Clemens being on the ballot for their 10th and final time, both never failing a drug test, despite strong rumors of them having done steroids long before they were illegal, of course, which is mainly why the ballot was as hot as it was, because of all those on it who were associated with steroids at some capacity, whether or not they failed drug tests, some of them, again, on there for the final time, like those two, Bonds and Clemens. And we know that even though they didn't fail a drug test, I'm pretty sure we all know that they, that they did them back then, because, I mean, their names were really at the forefront of the whole steroid era, really, when you think about it. But it is extra complicated because technically they also never failed a drug test. So, I mean, it's just a lot of discussion because of all of this. So people were just worried that they were going to vote in certain others that were associated with the era at some capacity, whether it be before or after they were declared illegal in baseball. And they were just really wondering if they were going to vote in certain people and not vote in certain others, even though they were all associated with the steroid era at one point or another, regardless of how much or how little. So, again, Bonds and Clemens on for the last time, and neither of them got in. Two of some of the all-time players at their crafts, Bonds and Clemens, didn't get in for their 10th and final time. So that's it for them. Well, for now at least. The Vets Committee can still put them in down the road. However, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, also on the ballot, as we know, for the first time, did make it in. First ballot. So congrats to him. I'm happy for him, really. I am. I really am happy for him. He was picked on 307 out of 394 ballots, just 11 votes above the 75% required, so it was close for him. But he just made it, according to the amazing Baseball Writers Association of America and their voters, some of whom I have shamed on this show countless times for their nonsensical voting decisions, or lack thereof when it comes to the dopes who turn in empty ballots. My favorite people, as a lot of you know. 
And please also know that I'm also being as sarcastic as humanly possible when I refer to them as my favorite people. <laughs> but regardless, Ortiz made it in. Despite his reported positive PEDs test back in 2003 that basically all of us know about, and it was on everybody's minds, one of over 100 guys named in a 2009 report, and there's lots of controversy surrounding that whole thing, there has been for years now, especially because there are still lots of factors and unknowns about that 2003 list that Ortiz appeared on pertaining to people testing positive. I want to give all sides of this like I usually do, no bias here. And unfortunately, this side about David Ortiz having tested positive in 2003, and it was revealed in 2009 on this big list that came out, is one of those sides. But there are a lot of factors and unknowns, like I just said. Like, we don't know what drug it was for, or if it was even one that was later deemed illegal, or even if it was a false positive, since apparently there were some false positives with that list. There are just specific things that we never publicly found out. But obviously, since he still appeared on that list at all, it's hard to blame people for feeling this way. Even though guys like Bonds and Clemens were much more associated with steroids by name, but obviously people were in an uproar about these voting results. Saying, oh, you don't vote in guys like Bonds or Clemens who never even actually failed a drug test, even though all of us basically assume that they did them, but they never even failed a drug test. Both of whom who also actually happened to factually and statistically be better players than Ortiz, but you didn't vote them in, yet you vote Ortiz in? <laughs> when, again, reports even claimed that he, Ortiz, actually tested positive? Well, that's not fair. You gotta let them all in at that point. All of them associated with the steroid era. Don't be hypocritical. Even if Bonds and Clemens did take them like the rumors have said for decades now, which, again, I'm pretty sure we all know they did, I mean, you're still being hypocritical. From the knowledge the public currently has of all this, it's the definition of hypocrisy. And you know what? Those people saying all that are right. I have to agree. How could you not? You let one in, you should let the rest in, including A-Rod and others. And yes, I know that people are going to say, oh, A-Rod did it, you know, after PEDs were deemed illegal. But I mean, what the hell is this gray area crap? I mean, if you're going to let Ortiz in, and reports did say he failed that drug test despite him swearing up and down that he never did any of that stuff throughout the years. But if you're going to let Ortiz in, I mean, what in God's name are you doing not voting for better players like Bonds or Clements, for instance? when they were all associated with the steroid era. You're certainly not going by numbers, because any and all numbers should get them inducted immediately, with flying colors, considering they, particularly Barry Bonds, are a couple of the best players in history. So what are you pacing it off of? Personality? Because the last time I checked, that's not a Hall of Fame requirement. You know how many jerks are in the Hall of Fame? I know we've all already acknowledged the Hall of Fame as this plenty in the past, but this isn't supposed to be a popularity contest. It's not Ortiz getting in that bothers me. Or the fact that he was on the Red Sox and I'm a Yankee fan. It's got nothing to do with any of that. I'm not biased or petty like that. Never have been, never will be. A lot of you already know that. Besides, I happen to like Ortiz. I said it earlier, I'm glad he got in. I happen to like him, and I do think he's deserving statistically. So don't misunderstand this rant. I'd react the same way with anybody else in this instance with the same circumstances. It's the hypocrisy and the never-ending gray areas in this sport that still exist today and probably will always exist. That is what bothers me. And it clearly bothers everyone else, because everyone's in an uproar over this, like I said earlier. And for good reason. Him getting in, and others in the PEDs category who were statistically better and never even factually failed a drug test publicly, some of the best in their craft not getting in, being just another one to add to the list. That'll probably continue for all time. The list of hypocrisy and gray areas.
in baseball. And because of that, it now looks even worse than it already did. Not having now the all-time hits leader, Pete Rose, the leader in home runs, Barry Bonds, and now not even the all-time Cy Young Award winner, Roger Clemens, in the Hall of Fame. Because these people, these voters, just pick and choose what to give a damn about. In what other sport do you see crap like this happen in their Hall of Fames? For the Hall of Fame, which is supposed to preserve the sport's history, yet still sees its voters through the years picking and choosing what they feel is okay and not okay, regardless of how hypocritical it comes off. And from the league's perspective, the hypocrisy from the league's perspective, you let the steroid era save baseball all those years ago. You turned a blind eye to it at the time. Then you view it as this big stain and now vote in one guy speculated to have done them who actually also, again, actually failed a drug test according to that report and not two other factually better players, especially Bonds, who were also speculated. And I think we all feel that they took them. Again, I want to keep repeating that. I'm not, I'm not exonerating Bonds and Clemens from the steroid discussion. I think we all feel that they took them. But yet, they never actually failed a test. So even if Ortiz didn't do them, he's still in speculation of that era, as are Bonds and Clemens. But you don't vote in the two factually better players in Bonds and Clemens, thereby trying to hypocritically cover up the history that the Hall of Fame's supposed to preserve, despite the ugliness of it, let alone the fact that you're just neglecting the statistically better players. The Baseball Hall of Fame should cover all points of history. Just like all the Hall of Fames do for all of their respective sports. And the Baseball Hall of Fame, this is just another problem to stack on top of it, but the Hall of Fame has been a problem for a long time. And it'll probably continue to be. But this, this year, is an all-time failure of epic proportions. I can't think of any other better words to properly express that. I mean, even outside of the players, if you want even more hypocrisy, Bud Selig, the former commissioner before Manfred, Bud Selig, who was the commissioner at the height of the steroid era, is in the Hall of Fame. The commissioner, who along with the owners, of course, is in charge of the sport. He was the commissioner at the height of this era. And he is in the Hall of Fame. And Bonds and Clemens, these certain players, are not. <laughs> and yes, as I said earlier, they can still get in later through the Veterans Committee like so many others do. I, I do not neglect that. I am aware of that. But it's still all just such a joke when it comes to so many of the writers who are blessed to have a vote they have such a privilege to have the ability to vote for the Hall of Fame. But yet, a lot of them, so many of them, should be the last ones on the planet to have the privilege for a variety of reasons that I've already hit on countless times. Hypocritical voting like this. Just plain bad voting. Turning in empty ballots. The list goes on. It's a constant recurring problem. And this is all going to be debated until the end of time. This class specifically, and the whole steroid discussion as a whole especially. It's going to be debated until the end of time. Always has been a huge debate, and always will be. And you know what? It's all exhausting to me. I bring it back up when I have to, but otherwise I hate talking about the steroid era. Because it's an unending debate in the baseball community, and it's just annoying to have to talk about. But when it comes up in big instances like this, a very big Hall of Fame class where hypocritical voting happens, you have to talk about it. But between this and the quote-unquote negotiations, like I said earlier, as you can see, as has been the case for some time now, given the state of the sport, but the world of baseball is just a mess. <laughs> it is a colossal mess. 
And unfortunately for people like me who love this sport to no end, I mean, there is just no getting away from it. There is no escaping it. Like Vader says, there is no escape. Because there isn't. But, unfortunately, it doesn't end even there. (laughs) There's something else I hinted to earlier that I wanted to spend the next five minutes or so on. Something that, honestly, I didn't know the first thing about until it was brought to my attention this past week by a writer named Doug Gladstone. And explained even more in-depth to me by my friend and Ball Nine's very own Rocco Constantino. Something else that should definitely be given its rightful attention by many outside of even just Doug, Rocco, and, as of today, myself. And should also be resolved by Major League Baseball as soon as possible. And as of today, I will be the next one to give this subject, and those involved with it, the attention and advocacy that they deserve. Some of you may heard of it through the years at one point or another, but the subject and those involved are referred to as the Group of 600. Around 600 former players from generations ago who played for a brief time in the majors and are still alive, not getting the money they deserve. Sound familiar? (laughs) The league mistreating young players? (sighs) But them not getting the money that they deserve under MLB's pension plan, which even in itself isn't right to do to these guys, but also would be no skin off the league's back to do either. And I thought, in light of how things are already going in the baseball arena, that this would be a great time to discuss it for a bit. And Rocco gave me a terrific summary of it all. One that I'm going to read a chunk of to you right now because it was just that good. (laughs) Just to expand on it a bit further. And make sure that we all understand, because there are quite a bit of facts here to discuss. So here's the basic story. In 1980, there was a work stoppage, just like there is right now. And previously, a player had to play three seasons to be part of Major League Baseball's pension plan. And that was put into place in 1947. As part of the agreement to return in 1980, they changed that to just 43 days of service instead of three years. So they lessened it quite a bit. The main issue of the whole thing is that they didn't go back and retroactively include the old guys who are already retired who had the 43 days service, but less than three years. And those ones are called the Group of 600. Major League Baseball said the agreement was just for players going forward, which was okay at the time, but things changed when they started including other groups to get the pensions. Those groups included the guys who played before the pension system was in place in 1947, as well as pre-Jackie Robinson Negro League players who never got the chance to play in the majors because of segregation. And like Rocco also put here in the next part of his summary, and I agree with this, I mean, nobody's saying that those guys didn't deserve it. I mean, that was a great thing that they got the pension plans as well, and nobody's saying that they shouldn't have gotten that, but those groups get a pension of $10,000 per year. And all the group of 600 is asking for is that they get a pension that fairly matches those two other groups. Because more or less, I mean, now there are guys at this point who never even played in Major League Baseball, and they're getting Major League Baseball's pension plan when these actual Major League Baseball players who were simply requesting equal pension as these other groups who actually played in Major League Baseball are not getting that same plan. I mean, they want the $10,000 per year, plus when they die, they want to be able to leave it to a loved one for a period of time. This money and health benefits. I mean, the whole thing, like I said before when I said it wouldn't be any skin off the league's back, I mean, the whole thing would work out to about $6 million a year to take care of all these players who deserve this pension because they gave the right amount of service time. Only $6 million. I mean, for a, to say the least, multi billion dollar sport in baseball. I mean, $6 million to set aside to take care of these guys who deserve it after all these years? I mean, come on. $6 million is like me giving a $20 bill to someone. It's, it's, it's just like pocket change. But in 2011, an agreement was made to compensate this group. They were paid $625 per 43 days of service pre-tax in Major League Baseball, but they could not pass the $10,000 total and they got no health benefits, and also couldn't leave it to a loved one when they died. And they couldn't even call it a pension, so they had to call it a stipend, I think it's called. 
And after taxes, most guys in the group get a check for $1,000 or so every year. And in 2003, there was a lawsuit filed on behalf of the players that really ticked off Manfred, Major League Baseball, and the Major League Baseball Players Association. And the lawsuit accused the league and the Players Association of racism since the Negro League players got a pension and MLB players, actual MLB players, did not. And I just want to make it clear again that I actually support those Negro League players getting the pension even though they never played in Major League Baseball because they had segregation holding them back. I mean, a lot of those guys were incredible talents, and they would have easily been Major League Baseball talents. So, I mean, they had something that was beyond their control, stopping them from being Major League players. So, like I said, and Rocco said, and like it's like I've said in this summary, nobody has a problem with those guys getting it. But, I mean, that also means that this group should get it too, right? I mean, everybody should get the equal benefits that was said by Major League Baseball that they would get. But this lawsuit... Made everything really ugly. I mean, this came out in 2003. And the group lost the lawsuit. So all it accomplished was making the Players Association very angry. And now the league and the Players Association won't even talk to the group anymore. So right now it's just on the Players Association to help these people. Specifically Steve Rogers and Tony Clark. And this number of players is decreasing, of course, as time goes along, because, you know, as time goes along, some of them are passing away. And now it's roughly around 540, give or take, players left. So, it's unfortunate. This, these are all the players still alive the, with the 43 Major League Baseball service days between 1947 and 1980. And we're not grandfathered in into that 1980 pension amendment. And, you know, they received their annual stipend of $625 per 43 days of service, up to $10,000, but with no health benefits, and also their stipends cannot be left to a loved one when they pass away, and that's not the way it is for the other groups. So they're asking for all of these players to receive the $10,000 annually that the other groups do, with the right to leave their stipend to a loved one for a negotiated period of time after their death. And you know what? I've got to advocate for this group. And it's not to just agree with Rocco or Doug or anybody else at Ball 9 or whatever the reason may be. I read this over for myself and really just came to my own opinion saying, you know what? These guys should have been grandfathered in and they should have been taken care of like all the other groups. I mean, they were there from 1947 to 1980. They did their days of service from what Major League Baseball changed it to, to the 43 days. And they should be taken care of. And like I said before, it's great that the Negro Leagues and the other group and and all of them got taken care of. Because again, especially the Negro League players, they were only kept out of Major League Baseball because of these awful factors that were obviously out of their control. Segregation. And these guys should have been Major League Baseball players. I mean, I more than anyone, (laughs) I can't stand hearing that people, because of factors that they cannot control about themselves, like the color of their skin, are being kept out of places that they deserve to play in, especially in the case of the Negro League players, which many of them had terrific talent. I mean, and they could have easily made it as Major League Baseball players. Not to mention that nobody should have to be ashamed of the color of their skin. And, like I said with Rachel Balkovec last week, when it came to her being the first woman manager in minor league history, now managing the low-A Tampa Tarpons, it should solely be based on ability and whether you are qualified or not. And that's how I've always felt when it comes to everything. So... I don't blame Major League Baseball at all for taking care of them. I think those guys should be taken care of because, again, they were kept out of Major League Baseball for factors beyond their control, and it wasn't right at all. And the other groups who were there at that time as well, they are them being taken care of is a good thing too. But these guys should be too. I know, of course, after having read that, the lawsuit made things ugly, and, and I see it. But, I mean, the Players Association should be sitting down with these guys and giving them what they're owed. They gave their service time. They should be grandfathered in like everybody else. And it's not right that they're not. And their families should receive the benefits of their service time as well all those years ago, before it's too late. Because again, unfortunately, these guys are not young anymore. And as the more time goes along, the more of them continue to pass away, and they can't leave these stipends to their loved ones. And that's really unfair. And I really feel for them. So all I'm asking for as an advocate of this now, alongside many, many others, this discussion has apparently been heating up a lot lately, is that these guys are treated equally and fairly as the other groups are. 
I think that's plenty fair. And like I said before, when I look at that article, when I look at these things about this subject and see that for Major League Baseball, it would only cost them about $6 million to do per year. Think how much money is in the sport of Major League Baseball. And then think of $6 million compared to that. Like I said, it's like a $20 bill for us regular citizens to just hand out to everybody. Obviously for us, we hear $6 million like, holy crap, $6 million. But... Think about it in baseball's perspective. Multi-billion dollar sport with so much money to throw around. 30 rich owners and all this stuff. How much money is in baseball? Six million dollars? You can't take care of these guys? Lawsuit or no lawsuit? Give them what they deserve. And do the right thing. Because this is just another thing, like I said before, on top of all the other things on the list, that Major League Baseball has just gotten wrong. And I think it would be in everybody's best interest for them to correct it as soon as possible. So yeah, I, along with many others, are stepping out as an advocate for this group of guys. Saying that they deserve their money. And I hope that someday, somehow, the Major League Baseball Players Association decides to sit down with them again, get this sorted out, and give them what they earned all those years ago with their service time that they gave when they were younger, when they were young players. Because... I've just had enough of listening to how baseball just mistreats young players, even going back all those years ago, let alone what they continue to do to them now. Like when you hear about modern-day minor leaguers and their horrible living conditions, it's just too much of a recurring theme in baseball history for my liking. Especially when we know the sport has the financial resources to put an end to these sorts of things. And I think it needs to change, and this is a good point for that to start. Give these guys who are now elderly men and passing away more and more as time goes along, what they deserve, and their families as well. And the biggest part of it, again, is that it really wouldn't be much skin off Major League Baseball's back. Six million dollars, give or take, a year. Get it done. And if there's more to this story that you know of, and you want me to shed some more light on it, or maybe there's even more information on it, then be sure to follow up with me on it. I mean, you know my social medias, Facebook, Mike Scudero NY, Twitter, at Mike Scudero, and Instagram, MikeScuds97. DM me on any of those. Hit me up. Let's talk. And we'll talk about it. I'd love to hit on issues like this. I was asked to bring this up, and I thought it was a great issue to read about and talk about here on the show. I wanted to shed some light on it. And I am advocating for these guys. The group of 600 are now, give or take, around 540, it seems. So let's get this done and give these guys what they deserve. And if you want to read more about this, then go to ball9.com. They put out a story about this a while ago, the group of 600, and just read all about it. Or you could read about it anywhere else. I'm sure it's, it's available in a lot of different places, too, if you want to read up on it all by yourself, because I'm sure there are plenty more details out there. But that's just the brief summary, the brief rundown of it all, and uh, what I feel that these people deserve. And I feel that it needs to be talked about, and I'm, I'm glad that I could spend some time on it today. So again, what's the moral of linking all of these things together? I mean, just at the end of the day, to unfortunately remind everybody that Major League Baseball and its history, as great of a game as baseball itself is, is stained with a lot of crap. <laughs> we still stick with it, many of us do at least, because we love it. And I do love it. And if I've said it once, I've said it an infinite amount of times in my life. Baseball is my heart. But as I also always say, like with people too, just because you may love them doesn't mean that you shouldn't raise dire and valid issues that you may see in them. So put that one in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> all right. I'm sick of talking about all of this. <laughs> the Hall of Fame will never not be a controversial topic, especially when it comes to the steroid era. So controversial ballots like this are far from over, I'm sure. And I'm also sure that there will still be plenty of riveting CBA talk in the future. So can't wait for that. So let's move along to our beloved team. You know, the one in the title. The one you came here to hear me talk about in the first place. <laughs> Just an idea. Oh, and take care of that group of 602, will you? I mean, come on. Do the right thing and equally and fairly compensate all groups having to do with the pension. 
Come on. But anyways, Yankee talk. Obviously, my friends, there was nothing in the news this past week when it comes to our Yankees, outside of Carlos Beltran being hired for the Yes booth for commentary this year. He's apparently going to commentate 36 games this year, the same amount of games as the number on the back of his Yankee jersey when he played here. And some people are up in arms about it since he was one of the main names behind the Astros cheating scandal years ago, you may recall. I personally don't make much of it since it's just commentary in this case, but I guess I can't blame others for being ticked off. I just hope he does well on commentary and can give some good insight, having been a former player, obviously, and a great one at that. But yeah, I mean, other than that, Carlos Beltran being hired to do commentary in the Yes booth this year, I mean, nothing in Yankees news again, since nothing can happen still. The lockout is ongoing as February again is just a couple of days away, but that doesn't mean that we won't talk about the Yankees. Because I've still got the social media segment. And that'll be the center of discussion for the rest of the show. And I figured it'd be a good time for some speculation for when the lockout ends, since it's still ongoing. So for this week's segment, I asked you, when the lockout ends, what's the first thing that you think the Yankees will do? Ask you that on Twitter and Instagram. So, I think we all know the Yankees will make a move when the lockout ends. I mean, a lot of teams still have a lot of business left to attend to once they can actually be allowed to do something after the lockout's over. So, the Yankees will do something, particularly in the infield with the two biggest positions of need being shortstop and first base. And I've said it in the past, even the Yankees have acknowledged it themselves, shortstop is the top priority. They don't have anybody to play shortstop right now, and they don't have anybody to play first. I'm prepared to hear people say, oh, but they have Gio Urshela. They had him at shortstop for a little bit. Gio Urshela's primary position is third base. That is not a season-long solution. You're not going to stick Gio Urshela at shortstop for the entire season and just expect it to be A-OK. Would he be okay there? I'm sure he'd be okay. He's still a good defender overall, but that's not a permanent solution. You're the New York Yankees. You need a shortstop. And the fact that they don't have a shortstop, one of the most valuable positions on the entire damn field, is a little bit embarrassing. So they need to get a shortstop, regardless of whether they get someone big like Carlos Correa and Trevor Story, which are the two remaining humongous names on the shortstop market, others like Javi Baez, Corey Seager, Marcus Semyon, those are already off the market, already taken care of prior to the lockout. But guys like Carlos Correa and Trevor Story are the ones remaining, whether they get someone as big as one of those two for a lot of money, or they go the placeholder route like Andrelton Simmons or an Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was discussed a little bit before the lockout in order to just wait for either Volpe and or Peraza to be ready, two minor leaguers who are not guarantees because, as we all know, prospects are never a guarantee. Never. So whether they go the big money route or the placeholder just waiting for a prospect route, they have to make a move at shortstop. They do not have a solid shortstop who only plays shortstop. (laughs) They need a shortstop. And then the other massive position, probably right behind shortstop, or maybe just as important because of how important first base is. It elevates the entire infield, as we've discussed. You could go either the route to re-sign Rizzo, who's a free agent now because he was in his walk year and the Yankees got him at the deadline, of course, from the Cubs. But you could go down the route of getting him back, or you could trade for Matt Olson on the A's, which would be a terrific option. That's the one I prefer, as a lot of you remember me saying months ago. But they could go either of those two routes. You're really, I'd be shocked if we see Luke Voigt back. We've discussed this. I mean, the Yankees announced publicly that they had plans to trade Luke Voigt at multiple points in time. So, I mean, it would be huge after that public of an announcement to see Luke Voigt back as the Yankees, let alone the fact that he's also not a permanent solution at first base, especially defensively, guys. We know this. He'll make his nice plays over at first here and there, but on the whole, I mean, he just, he can't play first base that well. He just can't. Solid hitter, lots of power. I appreciate the hell out of that, and I love how much passion he has in his game. I I do like Luke Voigt, but he's not a permanent solution at first base all around wise. Not to mention, again, the public announcements of them looking to get rid of him at certain points. Would you go back to a team looking for that? (laughs) So... You really don't have a shortstop or a first baseman. So regardless of the route you go down, with two of the most important positions on the field, you need to make a move. (laughs) 
So not to mention there are the other positions like starting pitcher and center fielder. You have people in those areas, but you could afford to improve. But that's just for improvement-wise. You need a shortstop and a first baseman. The Yankees need to make moves there, regardless of the routes they go down that I just mapped out for you. Now, which one I think they'll go for first? They have mapped out that shortstop is their top priority. So, not surprise me if their priority remains the same and they factor that into the first legitimate move they make and it ends up being for a shortstop. Again, whether it be for a placeholder waiting for either Volpe and or Peraza or if it's the Carlos Correa or Trevor Story route, which of course I'd prefer and I think that anybody else who wants to win now should also prefer. (laughs) So... They could go down that route, or if it's an easier thing to accomplish right after the lockout ends, they could go for the first baseman. They could re-sign Rizzo. They could go after Olsen, or maybe even more from the A's. Some people have talked about grouping in Sean Manaya in a trade with them so that the Yankees could improve in starting pitching as well as getting Matt Olsen for first base. Whichever one is easy to accomplish, and I think it also depends on when the lockout ends, how much time they have to work with. There are just a lot of factors here. But if they stick to their priority, which they mapped out clearly was shortstop, because, I mean, Brian Cashman even said that to the media a number of times. So if they stick to that, then I guess shortstop's their first move, which I wouldn't be opposed to. It's got to be shortstop or first base, one or the other, because you actually need players for those positions. They need them. It's not even a matter of improving. They need to make moves there. So regardless of your confidence or lack thereof in the Yankees or Cashman or the front office as a whole, I mean, you could say, oh, I doubt they'll do anything. But no, they actually need to make moves here. Regardless of how minor or major they are, they have to make moves. So for me, it's kind of hard to tell whether they would go for shortstop or first base first in particularly, like right after the lockout ends. But it's going to be one of those two. But I'll just say shortstop since that seems to be their top priority. And I would hope that with the lockout being nearly a couple of months old already, that they've had time to sort of brainstorm and formulate which direction they'd like to go in first. So I'm going to say shortstop, even though first base could very well be a possibility, but it's going to be one of those two. What they do after that, I mean, whatever. I mean, that's I've spoken about that as well, but this question is just what do you think they're going to do first? So it's one of those two things at least as far as I'm concerned. But let's hear what you guys have to think. We'll start on Twitter first. As always, I'll get through as many as I can. And as usual, there are so many people, so I'm not going to get to nearly all of them, but I'll get to as many replies as I can. We'll read a few over on Instagram, and then we'll put a nice little bow on this episode, huh? And then we'll get it back going next week. But first off on Twitter, again, for the question, when the lockout ends, what's the first thing that you think the Yankees will do? The first thing, first up on Twitter is... At Crusaders BBNY, and they say, get us a legitimate shortstop, and then either sign Rizzo or trade for a first baseman. Yeah, so you're on the same page. It's either one or the other, but yeah, shortstop seems to be first, because, I mean, they've said that. It's their top priority, as it should be. Shortstop and first base. It's hard to get more important than those positions. It really is. Next, we have my friend James at RebirthChaos09, and he says, I would say signing a shortstop would be the first priority. Yeah, they've said as much, so I can't blame you for thinking that way. <laughs> Next up, we've got Rob at Laker477, and Rob says, I honestly think it'll depend on when it ends. Ideally, they will sign or trade for a big-name shortstop and sign Rizzo. All right, so yeah, everybody seems to say the shortstop in first base, and I think that's correct. As we've said time and again, those definitely seem to be the two biggest priorities, but shortstop especially. And yeah, I think you would see a signing as far as shortstop is concerned. And I mean, first base could be either or. If you sign Rizzo, then that's a signing. But if you go for Olsen on the A's, then you're going to have to do that in a trade because Olsen is still under team control. So that's that's the deal with that. But yeah, either or. I would definitely agree with that, and I like how you also said it depends on when it ends, because like I said earlier, I do agree with that too. Mike at MD Nelly says, they'll make up a bunch of excuses why they can't sign a top free agent shortstop while they feel good about what the roster looks like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's been Brian Cashman's habit in the past, but I mean, yeah, whether they sign a big-time shortstop or they go down the placeholder route, I mean, they're going to have to make a move. They have to make a move at shortstop. It's something that must be done because they simply don't have a regular shortstop right now. And as much as I love Gio Urshela, 
He's not a permanent solution for shortstop. He's a third baseman. He can play shortstop if you need him to for a while, but he's not a season-long solution for me. And that's saying that without even acknowledging that, you know, he could also be used in a trade. So if he's used in a trade, then you don't even have him for even a temporary solution over there. So then you literally have nobody to play shortstop because you have DJ LeMahieu, but DJ LeMahieu plays second, third, and first. He's not going to play shortstop. So you literally need to make a move, no matter how minor or major it is. You have to. (laughs) You have no choice. Justin at its underscore bleach bit says, Honestly, think it depends on when it ends. If they don't lose any of the season, I think the Yankees will be more aggressive compared to if they have another shortened season. Regular season length, a shortstop. Shortened season, they may just add more pitching depth. Well, I think when it ends will just depend on what they do first and how they'll do it, but... I don't really think that just because of a shortened season, then they'll only add starting pitching because shortened season or not, like I said, they still need a first baseman and they need a shortstop. (laughs) Regardless of the route they go, they have to. So I don't think that'll affect the fact that they need those two positions to be covered. Because if you're to put a team out there on the field and you're going to play games, you need someone at those positions. You just can't have nobody playing short and nobody playing first. (laughs) Or a totally incompetent player playing either of those two. So you need someone. You need to put someone there at both of those positions. So, but I I do think when it ends will affect certain things, but I just don't know about those. At NYY1523 says, trade for Matt Olson. I would certainly love for that to be the start (laughs) of post-lockout days. I would love for that to be the beginning, trading for Matt Olson. At Arena 57 says, sign Freeman and Story and trade for Marte. Well, that's a tall ask because, you know, Freeman's going to cost quite a bit. And on top of story, that's that's a lot. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. But um, trade for Marte, which which Marte? I doubt you're going to see Starling go anywhere because he literally just signed with the Mets. And uh, Cattell Marte you're going to have to trade for, and that's going to cost a lot. <laughs> that's going to cost a lot players-wise, prospects-wise. That's just going to be a lot. So which Marte, I ask. And... Yeah, Freeman and Story together, as good as that would be, I mean, you're talking about shoveling out a lot of money. Nothing the Yankees can't afford. I'm not exonerating the Yankees as far as their financial resources are concerned. We all know that they could afford any damn thing that they want, especially after already resetting the tax last year. We know this. I'm not exonerating them from that, but it would still cost a pretty penny for both those two. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a lot, but I mean, listen, who the hell knows what's going to happen after the lockout? Anything could happen, and a big part of that is... uh, is when it ends. It's just, just a lot. My friend Spencer at Musician DMD says, John Sterling has gone on WFN multiple times and remarked that Brian Cashman knows exactly what he's going to do as soon as the CBA is settled. I believe it. My guess is they'll resolve shortstop first, but not with signing Correa. I think that's a priority. The CBA talks are encouraging. I mean, they're really not that encouraging at all, if you ask me. I mean, as we spoke about earlier in the show, there are just a number of things that the two sides are still beyond far apart on. And you got to get it done. Like I said, you got to do the right thing here and just get it done. February is days away now. And February being the shortest month of the year, like usual, it's going to pass us by in the blink of an eye. March will be here before you know it. And then you're crossing into spring training territory. You're even crossing into spring training territory at the end of February. So, I know that meeting two days in a row, like I also said earlier, could be seen as progress earlier from this past week, but there are still no more meetings since then, almost a week later now, and no reported meetings really coming up. It's, and not to mention, like I said, the two sides just being as far apart as they are. I don't know. It's not encouraging to me. Not at all. They're not doing the right thing. They're not negotiating in good faith. And it's just bad. So I don't see it as encouraging. But yeah, I mean, as far as what they could do first off, I mean, like I said, whether it be signing Correa or not, I mean, it's they got to address shortstop and first base. You say shortstop, and that is uh, plenty understandable. At Real Mikey D 50 says, I honestly think they do nothing. Rumors the luxury tax, the players want it to raise it to $245 million. I'm sorry, the wording there is... I think you might have made some mistakes there. The rumor is the luxury tax the players. That doesn't make sense. 
I think you're trying to say the players want it to raise to 245. Is that what you're trying to say? 245 million. But Howe will find some excuse about not spending. Him and Cash will have some answer like we have the players already and getting some players back from injury. Nothing gets done. Well, I'll say it again. They, they can't do nothing. <laughs> they literally can't. So you can't just tell me they won't do a single thing. They have to do something. There is nobody to play shortstop. I'll repeat it again just for it to get through people's thick heads apparently. <laughs> they have nobody to play shortstop. Now that Glaber's moving back to second and Geo is not a permanent season-long solution. They have to look at first base because Rizzo is a free agent and they have not traded for Olsen yet like the rumors have said in the past. And Voight is not a solution going forward, let alone the Yankees' public admissions that they were looking to trade him at multiple points. <laughs> so you literally have nobody at these positions. You have to make moves regardless how minor or major they are. You gotta make moves. So they're not gonna do nothing. Even if it's moves that you don't like, there are going to be moves made. At B. Berry? Or Bear? I don't know how to pronounce that. B-E-H-R-E. <laughs> well, anyway, they say, First, nothing at all. They'll stagger out of lockout like hungover soldiers the day after liberating France. That's an interesting analogy. <laughs> but I mean, they can't really afford to do that, especially if it ends very late. They, they got to get right to it. <laughs> so, you know, these people say nothing, period, or nothing at first. They, they have to make the moves. And especially, this is what I mean when it depends on when it ends. If it ends late, they, they got to do it. They got to make the moves. <laughs> so, I just don't agree with that. I could be wrong, but I, I just don't agree with that. This is just what I think. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life up next says, I say they'll make a trade for Olsen for first base and make a huge splash by signing Correa for shortstop. The Yankees will be back in a big way, and I hope the lockout ends soon. Well, you're not alone with that hope, Rebecca. I think we all hope for that. <laughs> and listen, getting Correa, I mean, strictly skills-wise, I know. We've spoken about this a million times already. I'm not going over it again how people feel about Correa personally, but you can't deny his skill as a player. If they were to get him and Olsen for first base together, I mean, that's that's amongst best-case scenario, or actual best-case scenario, if you ask me. So that's that'd be incredible. At Savage Empire Pod says, Order a new supply of buckets for the chicken tenders. Priority number one. Second thing is get a shortstop. <laughs> eh, those money-hungry Yankees with those prices at Yankee Stadium... Fun fact, I haven't been to Yankee Stadium since 2019, but yes, even before that and around that time, yeah, I know prices are ridiculous. I, I'm aware of that. I think I paid 5 or $6 for a damn water bottle. I mean, it's just bad. <laughs> so, up next is at Jersey Yankee Girl says, sign Rizzo. All right, so seeing them address first base, first and foremost, and signing Rizzo. Listen, even though I've said in the past I'd rather Olsen because he's younger and there's just more to him offensively, Terrific defender, still under team control, just a variety of reasons. We've been over it all. But I definitely would not take issue with getting Rizzo back either. I, I, I like Anthony Rizzo. I'm a big fan of his. At Laura underscore Icemont says, sign a shortstop. They need to get their top priority done. Yeah, that they do, whether it be right after first base or the first thing. And the Yankees even said that shortstop is their top priority. So, yeah, they got to get that done. At RJ Piscotti 59 says, sign a first baseman or trade for one. Yep, one of the biggest priorities next to shortstop. At Sports D247 says, Correa or the Yanks ain't trying. Yeah, Correa is that much of a talent. He or Story, and if they just get a placeholder, you know. You remember me saying months ago that I don't want them going down the placeholder route just waiting for prospects because you ought to get the one that's a certain proven elite major league talent at that position rather than putting a placeholder there that's probably not going to do much for you and then just waiting on a prospect that's not even a guarantee because no prospect's a guarantee. I'm not saying that to crap on Volpe or Peraza or anything. I'm just saying a fact that nobody's a guarantee when they're a prospect. I'd rather get the proven talent, especially when you're talking about the Yankees here who can more than afford to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. At Baseball U says, make the fans sweat it out again. Well, if it lasts 
until right around spring training time or even affect season time. No, they don't have time for that. They got to get it done. At Fan21, Yank says, when the lockout ends, ha. I mean, it's going to end. It can't go on forever. (laughs) I mean, even if it's to go on for months on end and it results in the cancellation, God forbid, of the 2022 season, which would be a travesty for the ages, of course, considering this is already the longest lockout ever. But, I mean... Even if that were to happen, I mean, it's going to get solved eventually. Baseball will be back at some point, so the lockout will end eventually. It's just a matter of when. At Luffy the Kid 81 says, Trade for Matt Olson, Sean Manaya, Elvis Andrews, for Luke Voigt, Gio Urshela, and minor leaguers. Then I sign Seiya Suzuki for the outfield and then give Aaron Judge an extension. Well, you're just mapping out the entire offseason, aren't you? <laughs> just said first thing. <laughs> But, I mean, when you say minor leaguers, which one's in particularly? Because only one or two of the absolute top prospects, along with some major leaguers, probably would get a deal done for not only Matt Olson, but Sean Manaya too. I mean, you can't just throw Luke Voigt, Gio, and a couple of mediocre prospects in there and expect that to be enough, because it's going to be nowhere near enough. So, which minor leaguers? <laughs> Got to be a little more specific there, but... uh yeah, you might remember also before my hiatus when we spoke about Seiya Suzuki for a decent amount of one of the episodes. I think it was in late November, early December, something like that. I actually, it might have been my last episode before the hiatus on December 12th. It actually might have been that, yeah. But I spoke about him and listen, I, I wouldn't be opposed for bringing him over for the outfield either. You remember me saying that. Definitely wouldn't have a problem with that. And Aaron Judge extension, I said that, I think I addressed that, when was it? maybe like a month or two ago, I said something along the lines of, I, I don't think we're going to see that happen till next year. And I do think that when his arbitration's up and he can make big money starting next offseason, I think that's when you'll see Judge being signed to big money. I don't think there'll be an extension as of now. But, you know, w- whether he comes back or not in the first place remains to be seen. But I, I think he'll be back. But I don't think we're going to see Judge with any big money until next offseason when he's a free agent. At Mike B7478F says, sign Rizzo and Freeman. Why the hell would you sign both? <laughs> I mean, even if you just plan to have one as the main first baseman and then a backup, I mean, that's a lot of money just invested in one position. If you're going to sign one, you're not signing the other. <laughs> so, both? Yeah, no, I would not hang your hopes on that if I were you. <laughs> At Frank DeMarco, 11 is next, and Frank says, nothing. Well, listen, like I said before, no matter how minor or major, a move will happen. They can't afford to do nothing. They literally have no one to play two of the most important positions on the field, being shortstop and first base, so they will do something. (laughs) Listen, I understand being negative about certain things when it comes to Cashman and the Yankees due to past moves that they've made here and there, but I mean, you don't have to be so negative to the point where you're not even addressing realism. I mean, it's just realism to realize that they have to make a move even if it's not one that you like, and even if it's minor. But they're going to have to make a move. They literally need to fill these positions. They can't go out in the field and not have anybody at these positions, only have two players on the infield at third and second base, excluding the catcher, of course. But, I mean, you can't have that. They need to make moves. So (laughs) I don't really get the people saying nothing at all. They have to make them. Next we have at Chris Yankee Fan, and he says, Raise the beer prices. (laughs) God, you guys are just a bunch of regular riots out there, aren't you? I mean, listen, I'm all for making fun of the Yankees, poking fun at them for their high prices. <laughs> like, come on. A <laughs> uh, bunch of comedians out there in this fan base. All right, let's just do a couple more. Up next, we have at Yankee Ken, and they say first thing they'll do is find a stopgap shortstop at Walmart. You got to throw in Walmart. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, listen. They, they'll probably address... It's either shortstop or first base. I think that much is obvious. And like I said, regardless of how minor or major, you know, it's still valid, and a stopgap shortstop would consider to be minor, while signing someone like Correa or Story would be seen as major. So regardless of whether it is one or the other, something's going to happen there. But uh, yeah, it could very well be a stopgap. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility, like a lot of you have said when you're poking fun at the Yankees' cheapness here and there. There are times when they spend big, obviously, and we have to acknowledge that. They just opened the bank with Garrett Cole just a couple of years ago. But, I mean, you know, there are those times where they cheap out a little bit. <laughs> so, 
You never know. You never know. It could very well be a stopgap. We just don't know. Okay, let's finish off with at AngePat7, and they say Yankees will look for a starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, they could. Carlos Rodon, or if they do group in Sean Manaya with a Matt Olson potential deal with the A's, yeah, they could. We'll see. Some people have even mentioned also in that rotation Chris Bassett or Frankie Montes. Some people have mentioned either of those two possibly being grouped in in a potential Matt Olson deal. I mean, we just have to see, but they could go for starting pitching improvement. But I definitely see them addressing shortstop and or first base before that, for sure, if they are to even address the starting pitching. All right, Instagrammers, same question. When the lockout ends, what's the first thing that you think the Yankees will do? Let's hear what some of you guys had to say here on Instagram. First up, we've got Noah Adler, 99. And Noah says, Carlos Correa, Matt Olson, re-sign Judge and make him captain. All right, so a lot of things all at once yet again. <laughs> so Correa and Olson, like I said, that'd be a great, great thing. <laughs> And re-sign Judge, that'd be great too, but again, I don't see that happening until next year. And uh, as far as captain, we'll see what their plans are with that for the future. I mean, I wouldn't have a problem with it, even as someone whose favorite player ever is Derek Jeter, but uh, Aaron Judge basically is the Yankees, so as, as of right now, modern day, so we'll see what they do with that. Next, we have my friend Tina, Mountain Gal 456 and Tina says, depending on how long the lockout goes, I'm still hoping they sign Rizzo. Well, I'd certainly be happy with that, like I said before. I mean, I'd rather Olsen, but I definitely would not mind Rizzo either. Definitely would not mind that. Next, we have Official52011, and they say, get a shortstop. Well, that does seem to be the top priority, and uh, it should be that along with first base, so yeah, sounds pretty good. Vamos Yankee says, nothing major because our GM sucks. Some Brian Cashman slander there. Listen, I mean, with certain things he's done, I mean, I don't blame you for feeling that way. He has spent big in the past. I mean, and, you know, how much he can spend is not even really up to him. That comes from Hal up top. But, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, there are people out there who are not fans of Cashman. I have not been a fan of Cashman with some things he's done. I have been with other things he's done, so I'm I'm pretty like in the middle when it comes to Cashman. But uh, but yeah, listen, whether it be minor or major, moves will still happen. So you don't think anything major? So maybe a stopgap shortstop, maybe a mediocre first baseman, if that. I'm guessing that's what you're thinking. Next up, we have my girlfriend Vic Salimo, and Vic says, "Sign that shortstop stat." Well, yeah, first up shortstop, I guess you're saying, and that's not a bad guess considering they've said it's top priority. Let's finish off, as always, with my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and my mom says, please, please, please get us an excellent shortstop. We had the best with Jeter, and DD was pretty good, but now enough is enough. At all costs, they must put a great shortstop player at shortstop like Carlos Correa. Time to get over his big mouth and everything that happened in the past. Baseball is played with the body the last time I checked, not with the mouth. Besides, if he were a Yankee, don't you think he'd defend the crap out of it? Damn right he would. It's time for the billionaire owners to care more about their investments and remember that they'll be wealthy forever. Give us our sport back. Yeah, the owners will be wealthy forever. They are billionaires, that's for sure. (laughs) And yeah, give us our sport back. Like I said before, do the right thing. Just do the right thing, give us our sport back. And that thing with playing baseball with the body and not the mouth, yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> I get what you're trying to say. Yeah, listen, I mean, regardless of what happened in the past, I mean, you can't debate the fact that Carlos Correa is a top shortstop in baseball. He is that good, and he'd be a terrific player to have there. Strictly playing-wise, it's tough to get better than him. And it'll be interesting to see exactly how much money he ends up costing because it's going to be a great deal as we've spoken about. So it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, Ma, you said it with give us the sport back. I mean, do the right thing with that. Hopefully in the future, the league and voters do the right thing by the Hall of Fame. Hopefully the Players Association does right by the group of 600. And then, of course, you hope that when the lockout ends, the Yankees do the right thing and put a product out on the field that most of us, or all of us, I mainly say most of us because it's impossible to please everybody, especially these days, but hopefully that at least most of us can be happy with. What's the main thing that links all of these subjects that we've spoken about today, whether it be Yankee or non-Yankee related? Do the right thing. And that is that. 
And with that being said, I want to thank each and every one of you, as always, for your interactions on the social media segment. There are so many of you, and I appreciate all of you, whether I get to you or not. And if I didn't get to you, you know the deal. Just keep on interacting every week, and eventually, I'm going to get to you. I mean, I have to eventually, right? (laughs) So, just keep on trying, but thank you all so much for interacting, as always. And thank you all so much for tuning in to episode 126 of Yapping Yankees today, because that is all for episode 126. Real quick, as always, guys, remember to follow me on all social medias, Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY, Twitter, at Mike Scudero, and Instagram, at MikeScuds97. Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms it's available on, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Leave a like below on YouTube if you're listening on there. Leave a review on all the others like usual. Show your usual love. And if you have the time, listen to the past Yapping Yankees episodes that you might have missed. Episodes 34 up to episode 126 today are available on YouTube. And all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's, are available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Spotify. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today. I am Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, February 6th, a new month as what should be spring training right on the horizon continues to be less and less likely as this lockout continues. But nonetheless, it's a new month, and if things go well, should mean closer and closer to baseball. But I will talk to you again next Sunday on the 6th when I come at you with episode 127 of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, as usual, hang in there, be patient, please stay safe, look out for your loved ones, and let's just please, as we did last week, let's just keep this going week by week. Let's hope for any and all good news that we could possibly get in this next week before we talk again next Sunday. Enjoy your week, my friends. Take care. (laughs) 